Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and today we are doing a show and tell. And the show and tell is where we bring on a guest, and we talk about something cool. Today's guests are Henry and Pedro. Henry and Pedro work with uh, Paradigm Concepts, or PCI, and Henry is the president and creator and lead writer of the Arcanus campaign setting, and Pedro, also known as Stat Monkey, is like the lead rules designer. And we are here today to talk about their currently kickstarting Kickstarter for the Arcanus campaign that is 5e compatible. Uh, we'll jump to the end. It's already funded almost at 200%. So we'll just get that you know out of the way. So we want to talk about what it is and why you should go and check it out. So Henry, Pedro, welcome back to the show. Cool. Thank, hey, man. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us back. Bro. Absolutely. Uh, I, I guess technically Pedro has been here before. We talked last year um, when you were doing the Ma- uh, magic reforged kickstarter yeah the forged of magic For- yeah, correct forged of magic which again was a 5e compatible magic item kickstarter which again was flavored with the arcanist flair uh so so we've talked a little bit about that anybody who's been listening for a while that's kind of what we're revisiting is now that um we're kind of a little bit further into the cycle for 5e you guys are relaunching the campaign setting so i'll start with with you henry mm-hmm. what is arcanist and why should i care about it well, uh, again, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to be on your show, and uh, hello to all your listeners. Arcanus is a grim and uh, dark, but not bleak, campaign setting. And by that I mean is that it's a, it's a world that does not have stark black and white heroes and, and villains and even uh, gods. Uh, most fantasy uh, uh, settings have a good god and an evil god. We have um, a pantheon, and the pantheon is is immor- uh, amoral, I should say, and it's the various churches on the different uh, nations on Arcanus that decide what aspects of each god to worship, and based upon the mores of those societies, they can be considered good or evil. The heroes are not lily white heroes; they have a uh, you know flaws, and the uh, even the villains have uh, some sort of virtue. Uh, at times, the villains are not truly villains, but merely people who are at cross-purposes or with different agendas than you have. Uh, that's something that we enjoy uh, delving into, where your opponent is not necessarily somebody who's a mustache-twirling bad guy, but is actually a person who has a uh, may have a very noble pursuit, or is um, perhaps taking things to an extreme that you oppose. And therefore, it creates a very interesting dynamic as far as role-playing. Arcanus is very, very heavy into role-playing, very heavy into political intrigue. It also has fantastic, uh, epic kind of uh, setups and stories. Having said that, we are founded uh, on the tropes of, or of many of the tropes of Dungeons & Dragons, since I've I've been playing since I was a kid back in the, the late 70s. And so we still have creatures, monsters, and whatnot. But I tried, even the monsters, I try to give some sort of, um, as long as they're intelligent, obviously, some sort of civilization, some sort of history as to why they're doing what they're doing. Right. So Arcanus, uh, so Arcanus actually ends up being almost like a, um, a war between species, a war between nations, a war between religions, and uh, a clash of all, these, of all these together. So that's what I think makes it a fairly unique. 
anyone who's listened to the show for a while knows that I'm a big fan of villains who don't think of themselves as the villains. You know, it's not like Captain Planet where someone is going to pollute the ocean, not because it's cost effective, but because they just want to pollute the ocean and they're either just, you know, again, mustache twirling evil people. So I, I always like, you know, even if I'm playing quote unquote standard D and D, I like to flavor my villains with virtues and with ideologies that in a certain situation you can kind of go, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I just don't agree with your methods. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds mm-hmm. like that's kind of what you're, you're, you're talking about here now. Ar- so Arcanus is the, is basically grew out of your home game, right? Like when you were running, this is basically the game well, that you were running for your friends and family and such. It, it did eventually. It, originally it was a series of, um, or, or I should, let me back up. Originally it was a, an idea that I had for a series of novels. And as I was playing out the story, I thought, you know what? I always uh, considered role-playing game as an interactive storytelling uh, media. I went, why don't I just run this and see how it goes? So I ran it for quite a while, developing the plots uh, and the, the tropes that I had uh, I had developed. Uh, the Bals, were, uh, which are these uh, it's a subspecies of humans, uh, B-A-L, uh, that are a divinely touched. They're imbued with an essence, a slight essence of, of one of the gods. So they all have bloodline powers. And those are some, some uh, ideas that we had from the very beginning that have translated all the way forward to the the latest iteration of Arcanus. But yes, absolutely. So it was a campaign, and it was... um, One of the things I thought was interesting was uh, that I wanted to try as well was that everybody in the party was part of the same family. So you're all playing cousins, brothers, sisters um, at at, at my table, which allowed... uh, I wanted to to do that as a way of... of, uh, Ensuring some sort of empathy between the characters. So if somebody died, it was just like, oh, poor guy. Let's loot his body. I get his boots. Going, you know? yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was, oh, this is, this is my cousin. This is my brother. You know, that sort of thing. And uh, it worked. It, it, it was a very interesting hook that we did. Uh, okay. It played out quite well. And one of the reasons I wanted to, to bring that up, uh, again, talking to Pedro previously, is I just want people to understand that there's a long history mm-hmm. of this world and, and not just again in your mind but arcanus mm-hmm. has been around for years yeah. uh it, it yeah. was you know it was around in other versions of D. at one point it was its own system uh and now it's come back into 5e so it's not like and again i'm not downplaying anyone else or any other kickstarter but mm-hmm. i think that's part of the reason why you guys again you are like you've been up for like two days you're i think you're right now you're like 170 percent um, yeah. clearly people know about Arcanus. Mm-hmm. They, they like Arcanus. Mm-hmm. They're willing to throw their money at it. But for someone who's not involved, this isn't like, Hey, we might write this or, you know, mm-hmm. again, there, there's a history. This is right. going to be a product. It's going to be a really well developed mm-hmm. product. Um, I do have the, the, the magic reforge. The art is very cool. The lore is very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely something I think people should check out. So let me jump over to Pedro since you're the rules guy. Uh, and we're mm-hmm. working in, I think technically we have to say we're converting it to the world's most popular role-playing game. Yes. So what are some of the mechanical differences that, uh, that people might look forward to? And then follow-up question, if I just want the setting, but I want to play strictly the game as written now, is can I do that? So the first part first, what's different? And then does it have to be different as the follow-up, I guess? Got it. Okay. So the first thing, uh, we changed... Uh, several of the rules to better fit the feeling of Arcanus. From little things to some pretty larger changes, like little things like changing the name of the Barbarian to the Fury in Arcanus, because Barbarian is more of a a culture and actually an insult 
in some uh, nations like Koryan, calling somebody a barbarian is an insult. So you would never call yourself a barbarian. Uh, so we renamed it the Fury, which ties into a really cool story Henry wrote about why we have these rage-filled barbarians in the world. To, you know, pretty big changes, like um, we developed our own psionic system, which feels different than your standard psi point uh, build, which has been happening since all the way back uh, in 3.0. And then the other little changes like to incorporate a little bit to encourage more role-playing, uh, we took a nod from the fate system. Instead of inspiration, we have something called fate, where you could encourage other players to play up their flaws to earn fate at the table to use to get advantage on die rolls. And you're allowed to have more than one point of fate. But if you act in a non-heroic manner, or do something exceedingly selfish, because we are a game of heroes, the GM could strip you of your fate. So it encourages you, even though we don't have alignment, it encourages you to play a hero. Now, you don't have to play a hero. You can play a hard mode and not use fate at all. But it encourages people to be heroes. So, so let me jump in there. So if I have fate, it's a benefit. Yes. If I, if I don't have fate, is it a negative or just I don't get the benefit? You just don't have fate. Okay. Okay, very cool. So it encourages it, but it doesn't really punish, like, severely punish selfish characters. Because sometimes, if you're really playing a true a true, a true character, like a, a realistic character, there are going to be days that you're selfish. There's going to be events that happen that you're going to look at the greater good, and you're going to look at your own interests, and you're going to be like, mm, my interests matter right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... All right, so then kind of the second part of the, the question I laid out. So if I'm mm -hmm. someone who doesn't really want to deal with other mechanics, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that I would not do them justice. I just want to play with the, the characters as I know. You know, can you get this book through the, the Kickstarter and just use the flavor? Do you have to use those rules? Does it work that way? Yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, you're probably going to want to fudge a few things. Like we have uh, some unique races uh, like Darkkin, you could probably replace core races for a lot of the Arcanist races and still use the world without losing that much flavor. The Vals are going to be a problem because we developed a new uh, mechanic for the race called Blood Rank. When they go up in level, they could choose a feat, they could choose an attribute bonus, or they could choose to advance their bloodline. Bloodlines give you powers that keep building upon each other. The higher blood rank you are, the more powerful your powers get. Okay. So encourages investment. But without that, you could probably figure out something using feats to give you kind of that feel, but you're going to have to fudge the valve. But you could probably do so, it. So you could do it, but it turns out it might be easier to not <laughs> and just roll it. It, it would be easier not. Yeah, uh, yeah. It would be easier not to. Well, if I may, if I may interject, you could also... Um, if you truly want to play by the uh, the original book, if we want to call it that, you could just not ignore the races that we have. Oh yeah, you could do that. It could be easily uh, a Val could just be a, a noble, a, a very um, important uh, noble human, and just go with that. There's there's a lot of things you could do. So yes, you could definitely uh, play it as is, if you will. We just feel that by adding these these uh, additional races and these additional um, mechanics and whatnot. It really adds something to the uh, to the play experience. Yeah, and we we wanted you to feel 
like when you're playing Arcanus, we want you to feel like you're playing Arcanus. So even little things like, you know, instead of saying I use inspiration, I use fate. Uh, little things like that, that that give you a feel of being in and playing in Arcanus. Okay. So, so let's talk about the Kickstarter for a minute here. Um, so so what is the Kickstarter for? It, it's for the campaign setting, correct? Yes. So so we're looking at like a 4,000-page a tome. Is it a 12-page pamphlet? <laughs> like, you know, like what am I going to – what am I physically going to get, assuming I back it and, and we get it? Uh, well, right now um, the book is going to be uh, – we have it at 400 plus. We figure it's going to be 408 pages because we're traditionally printing this. So obviously everything has to be in – in uh, 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 32s and 16-page uh, uh, increments. Okay. However, <clears throat> a lot of our players want us to include a couple of uh, extra material. So we're going to have a stretch goal further up that allows us to expand to a maximum of 448 pages. Of that, you're going to receive three, three chapters that are um, basically campaign setting material, which is a the world as in a description of the races, a description of the nations, a description of the conflicts between them. You'll also re- uh, there'll also be a chapter strictly on religion, so that you know what the different uh, uh, gods are, or pantheons, and how they clash between the two. And then the the third uh, section on the, the campaign setting itself, these are rules ag- agnostic, obviously, will be on the secret societies, because we do have secret societies uh, that you that the players can but do not have to, but they can join. Uh, the reason why is because we like to, to have that, that conflict between your nation, you know, who do you back? Do you back your nation? Do you back your, your religion sometimes because they may be in conflict? Or your secret society may have a completely different uh, objective for you, for you to, uh, to accomplish. At that point, after that point, then we go straight into uh, the crunch section, if you will, which okay. is creating your character, here all the the races and you know different uh, adjustments to your to your stats, the classes, archetypes, new spells, the psionic chapter, new equipment, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The reason we have new equipment is because our Arcanus, rather than being based as a, on a um, medieval uh, European feudalistic uh, society, I decided to base it off of ancient uh, history, ancient, ancient nations. So the Koryani is the equivalent of ancient Rome. Okay. So you can, so your armor is Lorica Secantata, Squamata, you know, all the, all the other types of Lorica. And we have uh, some of the archetypes is Gladiator. Uh, your basic fighter is actually a Legionnaire. Uh, so we have that sort of uh, a flavor. And that's the rest of the book. <clears throat> Obviously, we'll end up with a, uh, at the very end, you'll have a section of a selection of, uh, of adversaries. Not just monsters, but actually human or cults that you may may battle, and some magic items, and that'll probably wrap it up. Okay, um, so it'll be a beefy book. So the, the the first question that came to me, and probably some of our listeners, is like an adventure that would help kind of bring you into the game. But haven't talked to Pedro before. There's a bunch of those already available now for free, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, absolutely. we have a we have a free primer that uh, gives you everything you need to start playing in Arcanus using the core rules. You can basically pick up the primer and pick up the, uh, the OGL document and start playing off the bat. We have currently have 18 adventures out for free that you can play that are part of the Living Arcanus campaign. The first uh, 
I think eight, Henry, or is it eight, six? Eight. eight. The first eight are intro adventures that literally are a tour around Arcanus. They show you different locations, different cultures to give you an idea about how varied Arcanus is. Then after that, you s slip into the main storyline. And that's where we are right now. We're eight, uh, seven, ten adventures. Eight. We're eighteen adventures. So we're twelve adventures into ten, the main storyline. Ten story adventures. Right. Ten. Right. Ten. That, eight. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um. So basically, what's, what's going to happen is by the end of May. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. By the beginning of May, the all the adventures for the story are called the coming of the destroyer. Will be out, and that um, I believe is fourteen adventures, plus the original eight. We'll give you uh, uh, quite a, obviously, 22 adventures that you can uh, play, and you can download these for free and see if you like them. In June, we have our, our big uh, uh, convention that we showcase our game. It's called Origins. It's uh, the one in uh, Columbus. Uh, in Columbus. I, I exactly. will be there. Yep. Oh, great. Well, we will have, uh, let's see, we're premiering four new adventures, uh, three hard points, one soft point, uh, are the four. Uh, and two interactives. One is a battle interactive, and another one is a is a different interactive that we've never done before, and we're going to give that a shot to see how that goes. So there's plenty of adventures for you to play, and that's why we didn't we didn't include an adventure in the book because we figured we're giving you twenty twenty two. <laughs> <Right. laughs> so you know what could I give you? And and when I say adventures, we're not talking about little adventure seeds. These are fully written. They're usually they usually average if you take out the boilerplate and all the and all the crunch you know the stat blocks and whatnot they average about ten thousand words which is about a sixteen page book if it will, if you would so we're giving you a lot of material there uh, that you can that you can uh, play with plus the primer like Peter mentioned it is a sixty page primer it's not a little pamphlet so it's it's meaty you got a lot there it gives you a good overview of the world it gives you an overview of the secret societies. And it gives you basic rules, like here are some of the races, here are a few archetypes. Uh, we actually have the Holy Champion in there as a class that you can play, the new class. So it gives you a really good a good taste of the world. And uh, one thing that Henry mentioned that uh, we didn't really go into, in the campaign we have something called Hard Points and Soft Points. Hard Points are the adventures that are the main storyline. Soft Points are side adventures that take place on the periphery. So if you just want to catch up on the main storyline, you can focus on just playing through all the hard points and you catch all the main points of the big storyline. Okay, so a couple of things I want to jump in there. Um, so where would I go to get these? Like where, where are these downloadable? www.livingarcanist.com Okay, and I will put a link in the show notes, but that's a pretty easy URL to remember. Um, so I want, to, I want to talk a little bit more about the Kickstarter, kind of wrap that part up, and then I want to move into the living sure. campaign aspect. Uh, so again, again, the the Kickstarter is already overfunded. It's it's only like two days old at the point we're recording this. So plenty of time to jump on, plenty of time to unlock the the, the more robust uh, book. Oh, we have a lot of really good stuff coming up. <laughs> so the things that I always like to ask on a Kickstarter is, what is the cheapest version that will get me the book? And then what is the crazy top one that, like, if I just have more money than cents, like, what, what, what cool things do I get if I do that? So we'll start with easy. Like, what's the cheap version to get in to check it out? Well, the cheap version would be $25, and that'll give you a PDF. Okay. If you want a physical book, it is a $50 pledge, which is a $10 off the MSRP. This will be a $60 book uh, if you go to the stores. We try to, to, to make sure that uh, if you're purchasing something, you're always getting a, a break on them. Okay. 
Okay. So, and that's the, uh, but the lowest version is, is $50. Now, if you want to go crazy, we have a $7,000 level <laughs> where I will travel anywhere in the world. <laughs> if you're in the U.S., it's five. But if it's, you know, if you're in Australia, if you're in Europe, which my girlfriend would love to go this year. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> what will happen there is besides getting the book and all the, the stretch goals and, and everything else, I will write a an adventure specifically for you and your and your group. I will run it for you. And that adventure will never see the light of day to anyone else. However, if you're playing the campaign, the living campaign, that adventure is canon. So all the perks and the and the um, um, uh, experience points and whatnot uh, can be applied to your living uh, campaign character. And, and uh, Henry has a habit of dropping big story plot hooks well, on those people. If you're, if, you're, <laughs> if you're paying a premium, you know, I better give you something you know, meaty. So usually oh, the sure. person who, who does, uh, we, we actually had one person um, uh, pledge the $5,000 level, so I will be traveling to his uh, hometown and uh, running an adventure for him and his uh, his group, specifically tailored to their characters. You know, I'll ask them, what are you playing, what are your interests, and then I'll, I'll write an adventure just for them. And I'll basically game all day with them. <laughs> Uh, wherever they're my hotel or, or wherever they want their house or whatever it is. And um, I've done this before, and we've had a grand time. I've done this already six times, I think. And everybody loves it. Actually, I'm, I they weren't original. Those those two uh, reward levels weren't there even originally, but we were asked to, to add them, and there we go. Awesome. So, yeah. Fantastic. It's pretty easy to fund when you're getting people dropping 5K at a time. So. Well, well, there's only one, but yeah, so, but we encourage anyone else <laughs> to do so. <laughs> well, well, there's one level that we should mention. Uh, we actually do have a level where not only do you get the current book, but you get PDFs of stretch goals, and you get PDFs of all our old D20 books, all of them, which is, what was I had 18. 18 of them? 18. Mm-hmm. 18 PDFs on top of that. So that one's a really good deal. Okay. So I want to move in now to the living campaign aspect. Um, I know what living campaigns are, having talked to people, but I've never played in one. I know, you know, like when the D&D in its early years, it was like a Greyhawk living campaign. There's been a couple others. So in case someone is truly ignorant, what is a living campaign? Well, a living campaign allows you to, it's like like a normal uh, campaign that you play. However, it allows you to create a character. Uh, it's never done by dice rolling. It's always done by points so that everybody is on the same uh, level playing field. And it allows you to take these characters anywhere in the world that has a sanctioned table of this campaign. So, for example, let's say you, Mike, you're, you're, you're at home. You're running, you're running a, a living campaign, uh, or I'm sorry, a living arcanist adventure. And you want to go to Origins. You don't have to create a new character to play in any of the events at Origins. You can take that same character with all the experience and all the certs and all the, the, the good stuff that you have and play that character in an adventure there with brand new people. And it allows you to, to have a, an interesting experience. It broadens your, you know, the different types of, of play styles that, that you'll see. It's, and usually at commissions, we have special events that we don't release to, um, you know, for home games or stores. So basically, that's, that's what, in a, in a nutshell, that's what a, uh, a living campaign is. Our living campaign has been around since 2000, I don't know if it's two or three, but it's been around for quite a while. And it went through the uh, the D20 years, 
And then when we uh, when we created our own system after D20, the Arcanist role-playing game, it went on for, we did two story arcs, uh, Crusade, and then we just finished up um, the uh, the Coming of the Destroyer one, which is what, the one that we released again for the 5e players. Because what we're doing is the living campaign for 5e is not replacing the one for ARG, which is the Arcanist role-playing game. I'm not talking like a pirate. Uh, we call it ARG. Arg. Um, what, what they are, what they will be in, in parody. They will be uh, parallel uh, campaigns. The exact same adventures, starting from June forward, exact same adventures, except one will be statted for 5e, one will be statted for ARG. And then from then on, they will continue together, because the campaigns will be in the same world, just using different systems. And that's important, because one very important thing that we do in our living campaign is that we allow the character's actions to become canon and to actually shape the uh, the world and the nations. So that, that was actually, I was getting ready to ask is, you know, when I think of a living campaign with, with my limited knowledge is that it is different than say like D&D Adventures League where certain things can become canon to the story and like my character could do something that, that changes the trajectory of the world that is reflected in the campaign. So, so how does that work when I have, you know, if I have 37 friends, they're all at home, mm-hmm. they're all playing Arcanist living campaigns. Mm-hmm. How does that roll up to you in a way that you can use to affect the story? Well, we do, there's two different ways we do that. When we release adventures throughout the year, uh, most, not all, but most of the adventures will have a sheet in the back called a critical event sheet. And all it'll be is like four or five different questions, usually a yes or no. Did so-and-so survive? Was the uh, was the, the sword green death destroyed? You know, yes or no. And you circle it. And then you can either send it to us by email, you can scan it, you can mail it if you like. And what we do is we open a window for three months. So for three months from the point that, it's, that the adventure premieres, at that date three months forward, we will collect all this information. At the end of the three-month period, I will tally them. And majority rules. Now, at special events, uh, certain special events, like, for example, the Battle Interactive that we're going to be using, or that we're going to be running at uh, Origins, called the uh, the Invasion of Antares. That's a one-shot event. Right? Can't play it anyplace else. So whatever happens at that convention, at that event, the outcome becomes canon for everybody else. So all other adventures that touch upon or impinge on on, on Antares, you know, whether it fell or, or it was conquered or whether it, whether it would survive the siege and, and the invasion, well, that'll bear in those adventures. And we've had some amazing twists to the campaign that I did not anticipate because of these uh, the events in, in LARPs and in Battle Interactives. Mm-hmm. But we uh, we try very very hard to uh, to run the campaign like a home campaign. On a massive scale, and I, I hope, and I hope your uh, your listeners who play the campaign agree. You know, we succeed more more often than we fail. So, okay, now so I and I know I, we touched on this when Pedro was on before, but I'm still not sure I understand. So I want to want to circle back around. I will be at Origins. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm running to some events. I'm running some panels. I'll, I will definitely be playing. So what is an interactive and how does that compare to like a regular, hey, I'm signing up to play four hours of something? Okay, let me field this one. Okay. 
So interactives are these, well, there's two types of interactives. You LARPs and then battle interactives. Battle interactives are huge events that we do is we get uh, multiple tables in one room and they're all playing the same event. Now, everybody's playing during this adventure. Everybody's playing a squad. Everybody's playing a group of heroes in the same battle. They're all in the same battlefield. So they're basically all taking part of one giant either battle or event. And the successes of each table are counted to tell us what are the results. So you could have like a five, normally in an interactive, we actually have more than one mission and then uh, tables select which missions they want to go on. But let's say five tables pick mission A, which is to break through the enemy lines. Well, if most of the tables succeed, then the story continues with the heroes breaking through the enemy lines. If they fail, there's repercussions for that. So it it's actually it has a, a lot of the battle the the story flows depending on the successes and failures of the heroes. Uh, just to to jump in here, just to be clear, uh, every round in the interactive is usually about forty five minutes. So when when Peter says the successes of them breaking through the line, it's for that round. So at the end mm -hmm. of the forty five minutes, we tally. And we, we, as we design this, we usually have a, you know, a success or failure repercussion. So that the next round, things either become easier or more difficult or something new occurs. Hey, you broke through here, so you got into the, the, uh, the sanctum of the cathedral of the eternal night. Well, who's there? You know, that sort of thing. Had you not broken through, then that event or that uh, occurrence could not take place. So... Okay, and again, I, again, I keep referring back to when I had Pedro on before. I'll link sure. that episode in the show notes as well if someone wants to go back and listen as well. Um, so you basically had said before that Origins was like quote unquote your convention. That that is where Arcanus, well, you know. Well, no, 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 let me let me. <laughs> I, I mean, no, it's Gamma's it's Gamma's uh, convention, no. and they graciously <laughs> allow us. And they graciously allow right. us. Right, I, I, I wasn't trying know. to imply that you run it, you own it, you organize it. But it's the convention where Arcanus is most prominently displayed and, and active and people can interact with you guys yes. compared to any other convention. Okay. So how many people do you expect, like based on last year, like how many people are going to participate in these events? I don't know. We usually have, let's see, last, last year I think we had 15 tables. Mm -hmm. And some of the tables had up to seven people. So whatever that, that is, and, uh, let's see here. A lot. Uh, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, seven times 15 tables. So it's like a, a that's about 100, 105 people. Not everybody plays the interactives. Um, the interactives, especially the battle interactives, by definition, have less of a role-playing aspect to it and more of a combat aspect to it. So there's some people that prefer just the, the role-playing so they don't attend. On an average, average year, somewhere between 100 to 200, maybe in the middle, about 150 uh, what we call Arcaniacs, which are the uh, the the Arcanus uh, people who are very fervently uh, interested in Arcanus uh, attend, and it's like almost like a like a reunion, sure, because we all see each other every year, and yeah, and since we all live in separate places, we had a a contingent from Australia uh, that used to come once in a while back in uh, the D twenty days, and it was great seeing them because we obviously they weren't Australia, so the only time we ever saw them was at Gen Con or Origin. So now, so. You also mentioned there's a LARP version. Again, I've never actually LARPed. I know what it is. Is it what you think of as a LARP? It's just straight role-playing? 
Are there any dice rolls? Like, kind of sell me on that. Well, uh, unfortunately, this year we will not have a LARP. Oh. We're, trying something, we're trying something different. We're trying... Uh, we're, it's kind of like a merge between a LARP and a Battle Interactive. Uh, we want to try something different. But to answer your question, I was I was asked to write a LARP years back, and I had never been in a LARP. So I had I had heard about the Vampire, the Masquerade, one and whatnot. So uh, I created one, and from what I have been told, it's very different from everybody else's LARPs. So what we did was we would have uh, we have a notion of how many people were going to be attending, and I would divide that number of people by you know six by number you know like six for a table, and I would make sure we had that many NPCs because I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to role play. And there are some very strong personalities in role playing games that tend to overshadow those you know who may not be as as aggressive. Sure. Uh, so what I wanted to do by splitting up into groups of six rather than having a hundred people or sixty people in a room and you're competing, you know, against those hundred, you're, you're, you have six people, you know, that you're working with. It's, it's, it's a much more friendlier environment and whatnot. So what I did was I have these, let's say we have 10 NPCs and all of them have an objective and all of them have resources, right? Things to trade, trade with. The only rule is that NPCs cannot speak to another NPC. Therefore the players form their entourage. So in the beginning, I introduce all the NPCs. Obviously, they have an idea of the theme. It could be the court of, of the emperor. Uh, it could be something else, you know, whatever it is. And so people already know coming in what kind of environment they're going into. So they, they some, most, some people have multiple characters. So they bring the character that they would wish. And I introduce the NPCs, and we give them about half an hour to 45 minutes to talk to the different NPCs to see who they want to give their, their, their help to. And the NPCs have to choose six people to be their entourage. And from that point on, all the haggling, all the negotiations, all the backstabbing. Because let me tell you, these guys backstab each other like you would not believe. <laughs> you know, um, The players I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the NPCs. I'm talking about the players, two other players. Oh, my God. And, mm -hmm. um, and that lasts for about three hours. Uh, we have different events that take place you know, um, to spice things up. And at the end, we tally up what happened and sometimes it goes the way I thought more often than not no they pull something that completely on the left field that I have to then because obviously everything that happens here impinge, you know impacts the world mm -hmm. so I need to react to that as a, as basically the game master for all these people and write a story that, that reflects what they did so okay so unfortunately we won't be able to experience that this year, but maybe sure. other places. So besides Origins, you, you mentioned Gen Con. Are there any other conventions that you're fairly active at? Uh, Winter Fantasy. We, we attend. Um, I I don't personally attend. We're in Florida. Uh, that's a, a period of time when I'm, when I'm busy with, with work. Uh, Peter sometimes attends, but we do have uh, people on, on staff that go and they, they attend. Uh, one of our, of our guys um, lives in Fort Wayne itself, so it's very convenient for him to just drive to the, yeah. to the location. And he runs events for us there. Now, having said that, we have lots of people who enjoy running Arcanus. And since the adventures can just be downloaded from our website, they can just go. They, we have a, a Facebook page. Actually, we have a couple that they can go and say, hey, I, I, there was a gentleman today who says he's going to be running one at um, in Virginia. I forgot the, uh, the city off the top of my head. And um, he said, hey, I'm going to be running the first three hard points of, of this, blah, blah, blah. And so he made an announcement. So the people in that area or, or 
who are traveling that area in May can attend and look forward to playing to playing that. So they they're kind of our ambassadors, or as we call them, harvesters. <laughs> so because <laughs> we have um, that, that's based off, off one of the the story hooks, which uh, apparently has struck fear. It's hilarious. It struck fear into the hearts of players. Mm-hmm. Wanting to play a magic user, or a wizard, or a mage, or as we call them, sorcerers. Uh, there's a, a locale called the Isle of Tears, and it's run by some guy called the Sorcerer King. And he sends out his harvesters onto the mainland, looking for people who have the gift. And then they harvest them, basically take you back to the island. And either, if you're too old, you're enslaved. If you're young enough, basically he brainwashes you and has you part of his group. And for whatever motives he may have. And apparently he has some some very deep motives uh, going on there. So for whatever reason, players, and this is I have heard, players are actually scared to run a a wizard or or a sorcerer because of that boogeyman. (laughs) So I find that fascinating because it's it's kind of like meta. It's not actually in the game itself. Oh, no, 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 no. Yes, it is. No, no, no. I mean... What I'm saying is that I'm hearing it outside of oh, the yeah, game yeah, yeah, yeah. that people don't oh, yeah. want to actually create these characters because of that. So. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I still remember um, in the old D20 campaign, uh, we had a – actually, a friend of mine here in Miami who played a wizard. And he was terrified, absolutely terrified of getting harvested. I still remember there was an interactive that we did where there was a, a um ambassador from your Mandalore who came to try to – a barter a deal and he was sitting in the room when we introduced him he just looked at everybody got up and said bye guys i gotta go and just left <laughs> <laughs> um but in the game if you cast spells out in the open you start getting notice uh you start getting points harvester points that are people starting it's not necessarily that a harvester saw you but it's that the local guy goes, oh, yeah, that guy started waving his fingers and fire came out of nowhere. It was crazy. Harvesters start picking up on that and start to hunt you down. So if you're obvious about your spellcasting and you're out in the open about your spellcasting in populated areas, it's a matter of time before they start knocking on your door. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, uh, actually, I wanted to mention, um, Henry, that that's where Pedro and I met was Winter Fantasy uh, not oh, this past yeah. year, but the year before, I was run- I yeah. was running a dread game, and Pedro was cracking up watching us play that, and I could tell he he was into it as much as we were. So so after the game, I walked over and I was you know I was trying to solicit for my podcast. I was like, hey, you like my games? And then we started chatting. He'd actually had already listened to the podcast before, and uh, that's where we met. And then we met again at Origins that same year mm-hmm. and hung out a little bit. I w- yeah. I will mention if Henry doesn't know that I organized my own convention. That's in Dayton, Ohio. So if you have any harvesters in the Ohio area that oh, might want to run right. Arcanus. Actually. Actually, we do. Yeah, we do. Well, Actually, Henry, remember the convention I wanted to fly out to and then everybody in my family got sick? Right. That was it. That was his convention. Oh, oh okay. Well, yeah. So there we go. We, we are doing it again this uh, this year, November 10th, 11th, 12th in Dayton, Ohio. So okay. we would be very happy to have someone there representing Arcanus sure. if we can work it out. Actually... I already discussed it with the family. I will be t- I will be trying to fly out there. Again. Oh, absolutely fantastic! We we can talk offline about that. Um, awesome. But that would be fantastic. And then I lost my train of thought there. Sorry about that. Hold on. What was I? Where was I going to go? Okay. Thank you. I remember what I was going to say. So please, you you mentioned there were a couple of Facebook groups that people can communicate to you through. Please let me know what those are, and I will include those in the links as well. So absolutely. if someone wants to go check those out, they can do so. Awesome. 
So we've been chatting for a while now. We've we've covered Son of the Lore. We've covered some of the mechanics. We we've talked about the Kickstarter. We've talked about the Living Campaign. Is there anything else? Like if you've got two minutes left to to try to convince yeah. someone to check out Arcanus, and we haven't already covered it, what are you going to tell them? All right. Well, I can tell you that we have. We're obviously we've already um, um, unlocked one stretch goal, and we're on our way to our second big stretch goal which is the Blessed Lands uh, source book, which is a region where these, the living campaign is, is taking place and will be uh, the focal point for the next few years. So it's, it's a, a good book that's a mix of, of um, history, source material, and, uh, and crunch. Uh, if, I could, if I could just uh, wax nostalgic for a moment. The reason I, I, when I wrote it, there's a city called the First City. There was a product years and years and years ago that was, uh, and I hope I don't, anger anybody it was a tsr product that supposedly had it was a box set that was supposed to talk about a, a ruined city an elven ruined city I won't, I won't name it but i'm sure people can figure out what it is and i was thrilled when that thing came out i went oh great just imagine all the story hooks and whatnot and i opened it up and i was like that's it <laughs> there's really nothing here so i decided to make uh, to make sure that when we did our first city source book to make sure that each and every um entry or location has some sort of story hook to it so we put that in there so that's that's the the next stretch goal that we're we're more than halfway there um and hopefully we'll hit it soon after that we have the one the thing that i'm hoping will will really uh hook people in which is an exclusive product we will write uh or we are writing actually uh because i have faith <laughs> so uh we're running a product which i am i'm announcing on tuesday um, the 27th, I think it is. Uh, I'm not sure of the date. I don't see my calendar. This will come out after that. So if you want to go ahead and say it, that's fine. Oh, okay. Ooh. Oh, that's right. Okay, good. Uh, it's a source book called The Disciples of Heresy. And what this book will, will have is two cults. The Cult of the thousand Eyed Man and the Cult of Zijet, the Mad. And not only will you receive a nice big chunk of, uh, of, source material that you can reuse over and over and over, but there will also be two adventures in there, each of them fairly meaty, that uh, will only be released to you. We're never releasing those adventures again. So anybody who uh, pledged at the uh, at the level that you get the PDF collection and all the stretch goals, you'll get that free PDF. But we'll also be making that book available as a print product, and we will be printing to exactly the number that the people who... who uh, took as an add-on. So we're limiting it to two, uh, two copies per, per, per person. So nobody, you know, tries to quarter the market on eBay or whatever. Right. And, uh, and that's it. I mean, this, this book will not be produced again. So. Okay. Very cool. All right. So Pedro, kind of the same question. You're the, you're the stat guy. You're the rules guy. What are some, or what is a rule that's in Arcanus that you are just you're giddy about and you really want people to to see it or play with it or interact with it uh, the psionic system okay <laughs> um so i i wanted to come up with a way that psionics felt different than any other t- actually one thing about the game is that every spellcaster type of spellcaster feels different when you play it in our world there's primal magic divine magic arcane magic psionics each one of those types of casting has specific mechanics that are only found in that type of spellcasting. Even if you have an archetype of that type of spellcaster, they will have those shared mechanics. So when you're playing it, it feels different in the way it plays. 
So the Scion, I had this idea of what makes their minds different that lets them use magic by pure force of will. Well, the fact that they could literally split up their consciousness and keep multiple small magical effects at, by pure force of will up at once, and then by collapsing those separate focuses, almost like uh, fusing two atoms together, they create sparks of power, which they can use to empower their normal abilities or manifest spell-like abilities. So it feels different and it feels alien. And even the way they would think would be different because they can literally hold two completely different thoughts at once. So they could be holding a conversation with somebody or writing down a letter to a friend. Gotcha. Okay. That could be a challenging role play. <laughs> oh, for sure. There, there's, there's an entire archetype called the savant that they're all about delving into the mystery of being able to do this to your mind. So they have uh, an ability, which I, I love because I'm a Sherlock fanatic. They have an ability called Mind Palace, which they could use their focus inward to search through all their memories and pick out small memories and get bonuses to knowledge rolls. But they actually have to shut down spell-like abilities to do it because they're focusing on their inner Mind Palace. So it, it creates a lot of interesting things you could do with the mechanics that are really flavorful and they feel really different than anything I've seen in the, in the uh, fifth edition system. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, thank you guys for joining me tonight. Henry it was a pleasure to get, finally get to meet you virtually. Uh, Pedro, yes. always a pleasure to talk to you. We, we will definitely hook up at origins and chat. I, for sure, I hopefully dude. I'll get a chance to play in one of your games. Great. Congratulations on the success you've already had with the Kickstarter. Again, it looks like it's well on its way to double funding and then some. Please, anyone who's listening, go check it out. Go to the website and download the adventures. Go download the primer and see if this is something you guys can support with your money. I know people are, are looking for other settings. You know, Forgotten Realms is the standard for the world's most popular role-playing game. And some people are itching for new ones. Well, here you go. Here's one that you can go check out. And it has a long lineage. It has a history, a pedigree. Uh, it's quality. And I think you guys will enjoy it. Hey, we're really, me and Henry are really accessible on the Facebook pages. If you read the world and you have a question, you know, hey, what about, we love answering questions like that. So just feel free to come on and, you know, say hello. Fantastic. So once again, thank you guys, and we will see you next time. Excellent. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. 
Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>